I'm grateful for the time I had at Asbury Seminary back in the 80s. That would be the 1980s, not the 1880s. The professors I had, the friendships formed, the lessons God's Spirit taught me, how I was shaped, the opportunities I had. I, I am a debtor. I'm still a debtor. I want to live as a debtor. Um, my topic is sharing the gospel, which I think is the ultimate act of servanthood. When I was about 30 years of age, I went to my mailbox. Are there still mailboxes around here? <laughs> There's nothing in them, but, but I went down one day and my life was changed. I was 30. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know somebody else's fingerprints that were divine was on that flyer I got. I pulled it out. And it was an invitation to get trained in evangelism at a clinic in Columbus, Ohio. And I was a youth pastor in Maysville at the time. I was a student pastor the three years I was here. And not, so I had a two-hour drive in the morning and a two-hour drive in the afternoon and was running three or four ministries and taking overloads. But I saw that and something just stuck with me. I went... I've been leading people to Christ since my conversion at age 18, but I don't know how I'd do it. And I thought, if I could get some training, that would be great. So I talked the senior pastor into going and the board into paying for it, and we went to something called Evangelism Explosion for five days. I came away with a notebook, and I put it on a shelf, and I didn't use it. I want to ask you, what's the greatest thing anyone ever did for you? Anybody? What's the greatest thing anyone ever did for you? I guess it would be somebody shared the gospel with you, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, a stranger, a pastor, a missionary, your mother. That's the greatest thing anyone ever did for you. They shared the gospel with you. So what's the greatest thing you could ever do for somebody else? What's the greatest thing you could ever do for anybody else? I think it's share the gospel. Now, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power. Everyone say power. Power of God for salvation. Say salvation. salvation. And it says to everyone, say, who believes. And the Jews got the gospel ball first. And they stewarded it to us Gentiles. That's why I always love the Jewish people. Now, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Would you agree with me? I'm sorry, help me out. Would you agree with me? This is a Tuesday, okay? I need some help today. He was imprisoned in Philippi. Let me just run down this list. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Berea. He was laughed at at Athens. He was regarded as a fool in Corinth. He was stoned in Galatia. And ultimately, he paid the ultimate price. 
because he was not ashamed of the gospel. You, a lot of you guys, all of you guys have your life and your careers and your ministry ahead of yourself, but we get off track. We forget what's the main thing here. I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. Since I don't work for any of you guys, I don't have to be sweet, okay? Uh, how many of you would say definitely you are not ashamed of Jesus? Hold your hand up. If you're not ashamed of Jesus, if it's kind of like halfway up, are you thinking this is a trick question? So you're not ashamed of Jesus, right? Not ashamed? Not ashamed, right? Not ashamed? Not ashamed? Okay, Anastasia, not ashamed? Okay, okay. But could you be ashamed of the gospel? Could I throw in some other terms that might help us kind of get our head around what Paul is thinking? Well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Steve, but have you ever been reluctant to share Christ? That you walked away and went, oh my goodness, I was set up and I didn't even open my mouth? How about this? Well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been hesitant? Hesitant to explain the most important thing. Well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been uncomfortable in a situation because the Spirit of God was moving on you to help somebody, but you chickened out. Hold your little chicken out, hands up. Me too. Well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been afraid that you might get rejected or afraid you might damage the fruit or afraid that you would know how to respond? How about this? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been embarrassed? Because you got in a situation and you just went, I am so far over my head and I don't have any skill and I don't have any confidence and it's better for me not to engage because I'm frankly, I'm embarrassed and Jesus, I'm embarrassed. Okay, since I'm your friend, I'm your brother, you don't owe me anything, I don't owe you anything, how would you know if you are ashamed of the gospel? It may not be comfortable, but I'm going to tell you what I think. Did you lead anybody to Jesus last year? Don't raise your hands. How about the year before? How about the year before that? How about the last two months? Did you lead anybody to Jesus? Oh, I witnessed with my life. People say that. Maybe you've said that. Paul said, well, how are they ever going to hear unless somebody speaks up? Well, that's not my gift. Let's let the people in gray sport coats do that. Uh, well, I think Jesus said, if you, if you follow me, if, if, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men and women and boys and girls that need me. If you follow me. So if you look back over the last five years and you haven't 
loved anybody enough to share the gospel, there's something wrong. And I want to say, in the conference I was in every year, every year, half the churches in my state didn't lead one person to Christ. I'm going, what were you doing? Have you ever noticed in the hallway it says something that my hero said a lot, and he said it to his preachers, and I will say this to you seminarians. John Wesley said, uh, excuse me, preachers, you got nothing else to do? You got nothing else to do. You have nothing else to do but save souls. And it seems like in the church in America, and I love the church, that was the biggest sign I had been born again. I went from hating the church to loving the church. We have everything to do but. Everything to do but. Everything to do but. And we wonder why our nation is in a moral freefall. Two reasons. You guys are helping turn this around, but one, the church overall has been prayerless, very prayerless for 50 years, maybe for maybe longer. There's a movement of prayer now. We're kind of like lukewarm. But the other reason is we don't share the gospel. We don't train people to share the gospel. We serve Jesus a thousand ways, and we don't do what he said. Uh, the night I was called into the vocational ministry, he said, Steve, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And that's my heart. And I'm going to put my heart inside your chest. That's what you are to do for the rest of your life. You say, well, what is the gospel? Here's another problem we have in the church. People say a thousand things is the gospel. No, a thousand things is not the, are not the gospel. We teach children and teach adults simple ways of explaining the gospel, but there's five little hand motions. As I train pastors in other countries and children at my church, he, try it with me, please. He, right hand up. Everyone have a right hand he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He paid the penalty for our sin. It's like putting a gas card in a gas pump. He paid the penalty for our sin to purchase us a place in heaven, which he offers as a gift. And I can explain that all day long to people. And I'll say this. People are open everywhere. They are looking for people like you. You can't stay inside the brick walls of your church or inside your office. Tom Rainer, some of you know who he is, said we're losing about 5,000 churches a year. 5,000. Yeah, we're starting churches, but a lot of startups fail. We're not, we have half the churches we had 50 years ago. 
And he even said it's probably closer to 10,000 churches a year that are closing. Why? Because we're doing the same thing the church in Russia did, the church in Germany did, the church in France did, the church in Great Britain did. We stopped sharing the gospel. The definition of the gospel is, it's good news. Say it with me, please. Does the Bible have good news, yes or no? Does the church have good news, yes or no? Do you have good news, yes or no? The question is, will you share it? Some of you don't even have friends that are not Christian. Because you've been so locked up in Christianity, you don't have any friends that don't know Christ. Paul said it is the power of God. You know the Greek word? It's dunamis, the same word we get dynamite from. It's a force. It's a power. It's not earthly. It is supernatural. It's a power to change the course of lives for generations. The power comes from the Holy Spirit, the true evangelist. When I was 17 years of age, raised in the church, Sunday school, Morning worship, youth group, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I was lost. And my family was lost. But we were moral people. We never read the Bible, we never prayed. And one night, I was voted the most popular person in my senior class. I played sports, I had a pretty girlfriend, I had money but there was something I didn't have and I couldn't figure it out. And my entire senior year, I didn't talk to anybody because I didn't know how to have a spiritual conversation. So one night, I waited until everybody left our little church and I said, maybe the pastor can help me. And so he was going around cutting off lights, adjusting thermostats, locking doors, and I'm following him around. He was an older gentleman. And I just said, I'm not doing well. I'm like so empty. I'm so depressed. I am searching. I have no purpose. I followed him into his office. I thought, well, he's going to invite me to sit down. Instead, he never sat down. He shuffled a few papers. I said, I even think it has something to do with God because I got everything. But it's still not working. And he never sat down. He walked out, flipped the light off, which is usually a sign for you to leave when they cut the lights off. I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. And he locked the door, followed him down the hallway. He went outside. I went outside. He locked the church door. I followed him down the sidewalk thinking, he's, oh, we'll sit outside and talk. The only thing he said to me was, as he sat down in his car, he reached out, patted me on the shoulder, and he said, son, you're going through a phase. You'll get over it. And he drove off, leaving me under the streetlight. First I went, What just happened? I got irritated, and I got angry, and I got bitter. I was bitter for 10 years toward people like me now and you. I even went to one night, and I was going out, because you know people that lead double lives, go to church on Sunday, run with the devil's crowd Friday and Saturday, so one night I'm going out, and my little mom who sat right there in the choir every week, went to Sunday school. She came in my little bedroom. I was getting ready. And I said, Mom, can I ask you 
some questions and she went like, uh, uh, yeah. I said, how do I know there really is a God? And if he exists, how do I know if he's personal or impersonal, that he cares? I didn't tell her I was thinking about hanging myself or being a Buddhist or a Satanist or just being a complete drunk and hedonist. And then I said, if I was to die, if I was to die, how would a person know they could go to heaven if such a place exists? And when I got that out, I started weeping and wailing. It was worse than when I blew out my knee in football camp. And I was wailing from all this pent-up emotion. And my little church mom came up, hugged me, and what she said next not only didn't help me, it made it worse. Through sobbing tears, my mother said, I can't help you. I thought, I'm like so in trouble here. I prayed a little prayer, the only prayer I can remember praying. I just said, walking through an apple orchard and on a March clear night, I just said, God, if you exist, if you reveal yourself to me, I'll give you my life. I'll give it all. I'll go anywhere. I'll be anything. I'll do anything you want me to do if you just show yourself to me. I thought he didn't hear. Four weeks later, I stumbled out of a bar in a college town drunk, and I saw the oddest thing on a college town at midnight. Two street preachers who were not ashamed of the gospel talking to drunks and potheads One guy in the group said, let's beat these guys up. And I had so much anger, I thought, I want to throw a punch tonight. But there was a short, stocky, muscular guy, no sleeveless shirt, blonde hair, blonde Fu Manchu, and he yelled, no! Let's listen to what they have to say. I heard the gospel in five minutes. It was the power of God. I didn't surrender that night, but I went away, got in my car to drive home drunk, and I said to myself, they have what I've been looking for. Do you, brethren, realize there's people all around you in desperation? Many of them are actually praying. They're the John Wesleys who can't seem to find faith. It's in their head. But they don't know how to let it drop down 18 inches. I remember my first trip to India. I try to get out of the country several times a year to help our missionaries, and it's good for me. And my first trip to India, I was with Go International. I get off the plane. We show up at this place, 300 Indians in this church. I'm jet lagged, I'm dirty, I hadn't brushed my teeth in five weeks or something crazy. 
And I turned to the Indian pastor, Brother John, and I said, Brother John, who's preaching today? And he turned to me and said, Oh, Brother Steve, it is you. I went, What? <laughs> oh, you are preaching? I said, Go. And they do their head like this. I go, Me? When? He said, Oh, about 10 minutes. You have plenty of time. Get ready. I wasn't ready more than anything. I sweated. I thought, man, I'm going to just create a crisis. I'm going to ruin this church. I'm going to make so many cultural stupid mistakes because I don't know anything about India and these people. And I get up and I just share the gospel. I'm actually standing on the floor with my interpreter beside me. His name was Probacher. And halfway through my little message, this Indian woman in a beautiful sari comes out and she kneels at my feet. That trips me out. That doesn't happen where I am. And I turned to Probacher and said, Probacher, what is she doing? Oh, Brother Steve, she had come to receive Christ because the power of God is here this morning. I go, she can't. It's not time. I've got two more points. I have to give an invitation. Don't you know you have to fall line upon line? He said, oh, Brother Steve, it is not about you. You just keep preaching. I go, okay. Another one came. Then another one, without invitation. By the time I'd finished, there was 14 or 15 Hindus that had given their heart to Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek when I got in my first little church, I thought, it was an hour from here in Shelby County, I thought, you know, I got two semesters. The superintendent lied to me. Oh, it's a wonderful place. No, it was a dump. And they just crucified the previous student pastor. He met me in the gravel parking lot and said, flee, flee the wrath to come. They will eat your children. But I thought, I got two semesters. I can do anything, two semesters. And then one day I'm reading my Bible and Jesus shows up in the text from Ezekiel 3. Son, I've appointed you a watchman on the wall. This is on you. If you warn them about the danger coming and they don't choose, it's, it's on them. But if you don't warn them when you know you have an obligation. You are a debtor. You're not a hireling. It's on you. Their blood is on your hands. And I went, oh my goodness. And there was only three little houses in that community. Seven miles out from the city. And I went, I remember I took that training. I wonder if I could train my people to share the gospel. So I had a woman that managed a horse farm in Simpsonville. She just lost her husband to cancer. And I said, Gladys, would you help me? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a seminary student. And could we learn this together to share the gospel? Then I went to a guy who had a 200-acre hog farm, and I said, Willard, I don't know if it's a work or not. I don't know if people will respond. Would you study with me for just 12 weeks? 
let's meet in my little office. There was no heater in my office. We had to, we started in January. We had to have a space heater. We put on coats and there's one little light bulb from the ceiling. I said, let's study 45 minutes an hour. We're starting to meet people. Let's go out and visit them and let's see if we can talk to them about Jesus. They said, okay. We did everything wrong. We got lost. This was before GPS. We're talking big old maps and flashlights and dogs chasing us and people slamming the door in our face and getting stuck in a snowstorm and getting in ditches. We did everything wrong. We got the gospel so messed up. It's a wonder if anybody did anything. And in 12 weeks, 12 adults came to Christ. And when you got a church of 50 people and you got 12 new Christians, 12 adults, and they said, can we learn to do what you did with us? Yes. And then we had nine people. We stayed there seven years and every week people were coming to Christ because we trained the body of Christ to release the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. I want to close with this quick story and I want to pray for you because we're about out of time. Normally I preach five hours. <laughs> One night, uh, we've, we were in a lot of homes. Just loving on people, we get a chance, share Jesus, we did. One night we were in a home, a couple, three kids, a lot of pain, a lot of dysfunction. We shared the gospel, and they just kind of were so apathetic. I mean, not yes, not no, kind of like, would you kind of get out of our house and leave us alone? And so we did, and they'd come to church a little bit. They stopped coming to church. I just kind of, well, you know, it's okay. We did the best we could. Two years went by. I didn't see them. Two years went by. I'm at home in this little parsonage in my bed, 3 o'clock in the morning. I just sit straight up out of bed. My wife didn't even wake up. I just said, something's not right. Got up, started looking around the house, seeing if the kids were okay. I went to my back door where the little church was like right there, and I opened the blinds, and there was a man at 3 o'clock in the morning sitting on my back step. Now that's creepy. In the middle of nowhere. And I went, who is this man? And I opened the door, and it was a guy that had rejected the gospel two years before. I remembered his name. I said, Kenny, what in the world are you doing in the middle of nowhere sitting on my back porch at three in the morning? He'd been crying. And he said, my wife has left me for another man. I was on my way to Taylorsville Lake to kill myself when I heard a voice that said, go to Steve's house. And he said, that's why I'm here. Again, he gave his heart to Christ that week. The next week, his wife did. Then his kids did. Their marriage got fixed. They became great servants of the Lord. One day, I was walking between our little parsonage and the church in between the services we were doing. And I saw them 40 yards away get out of their van to get ready to go into our little church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. 
He said, Steve, you see that couple? I said, yes, Lord. You gave up on them, didn't you? Yes, Lord, I'll be honest with you. I gave up on them. I thought there was nothing there. He said, I never give up on them. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all. To everyone who will just say yes. To the precious Jews first and everybody else. I want to close my part. I really believe that there's a thing called impartation. I think when Francis Asbury laid his hands on people, there was a grace that was transferred. And I think all of us are in that family line. There's been a grace that's kept on working over the years. I prayed for two years because my spiritual daddy was a soul winner. And I said, Lord, make me a soul winner. I prayed for two years, and that prayer has been answered. I just want to pray for you. You don't have to share Christ like I do. You have your own way, your own style, but you need to do it. How are they going to hear? How are they going to hear unless somebody comes, unless somebody sends them? So I want to pray for you. So if you would like a burden for souls, if you would like a grace to learn how to share the story of Christ, I want you to close your eyes and just hold your hands and let me pray for you. Lord, there is treasure in this room because you have worked through the generations for this moment. As I opened up a mailbox and my life was changed, Lord, today is the day. So as your servants cry out for a burden for people that are lost, a tear, a new love, the ability to see the Zacchaeus in the tree and the woman at the well, Father, release a grace and a power today that will change the lives of maybe a million people from this room. In Jesus' name, amen.